Hey, this is Carrie from Wrap Your Head Around Silks. This is the Expecting Aerialist Podcast, now part of the Digitant family of podcasts. Happy New Year. We are back starting season three. I'm so excited. Thank you so much to the listeners out there and for our community because I could not start season three if you guys weren't also listening. So I appreciate you. Um, And today we are going to start... 2023 and season three off with a bang because I have an amazing guest today. But before we get started, um, there's a lot of resources that I have. Um, Aerial Rehab is going to open for registration just a couple days in January if you need a jump start for getting back into your practice. If you have either been pregnant or you took a long break or you had an injury, micro progressions to get you back to where you were from PT, from PT to the air, that gap in between. So that's going to be uh, open for registration for just a couple of days. Keep your eyes and ears peeled on that and um, ongoing roll it out um, live virtual 60 minute weekly rolling classes. You do it with me. We get to see each other online on Zoom and we take care of our bodies um, together together. Uh, what did somebody say to me recently? They're like, you know, torture is better in a group. Yes, yes, exactly. And um, and then the other really exciting thing I have cooking right now is Silk's One Teacher Training. So I am going to roll out a pre-launch of that um, this year in the spring, hopefully. And um, yeah, I would love to see. If you guys have any interest, just let me know in the show notes. You can just add your email address so you know I can notice send you inv- notifications. All right, guys, I'm so excited because today we have Serenity Smith Fortune with us. She is the co-founder of NECA and Nipple Arts in New England. NECA is the longest running professional training program. She is a wealth of knowledge. She's also a mama of three. Her kids are now um, grown up and she she's just like a complete like she's I learned so much from her and I know that she has touched the lives of so many of us in this in the circus community. So I'm so excited to have interviewed her and to bring her to you guys. So let's get started. Okay, so Serenity, I actually like your name's been bouncing around for this podcast for a while because I have so we have so many. Um, well, obviously you've been in the aerial space for forever. I know so many people who have either a great relationship with you or have met you or have worked with you, and they everybody says Serenity, and I was like, oh my goodness. So I I personally don't know you, but I have so many friends who talk about you all the time. Um, if you could give yourself an introduction of uh, a little bit about it, your background, your family too, because this is all about mamas as well. And then I'll just jump in and ask you everything I want to know. <laughs> Certainly. Um, so my name is Serenity Smith Fortune, and I and my identical twin sister, Elsie Smith, have been in the aerial and circus realm since we were 16 years old. We discovered it late in life, and I'm putting quotation marks around that because that's a definition that changes depending on your perspective. And we did not have a background in 
any training, either dance or gymnastics. We actually grew up on a farm, uh, so we were sort of fit and strong, but not trained. We used to love to climb trees. Um, and then we had a chance to do circus when we were 16 at a club med. We got to fly in a trapeze and sort of fell in love with it. And our love of working with kids and um, some exposure that we had shortly after that to some social circus really is how we got started in this as a potential life path. But I have to say, we were very surprised by it ourselves. Both of us um, had scholarships to university, and we thought that we were uh, bound in that direction. But after a short stint at university, each of us uh, realized that we needed a break from the academic, and it was circus that gave us that break. And then it was also circus that kind of took us in a direction of another career. And that was almost... 30 years ago. Um, so we've been doing this for a while. Um, so you and your sister are still uh, doing, are you guys business partners? Yes. My twin sister and I own Nimble Arts, which is our company together that we founded when we uh, left tour with Cirque du Soleil. And then we also founded the Not for profit circus school that's the new england center for circus arts so that is not something that we own when you create a not-for-profit you kind of give it to the world so we are employed by NECA and still work there but it is not owned by us um but nimble arts is our company together and we are business and um creative partners oh my god this is amazing okay so yeah i kind of knew some of that but not all of it with NECA, NECA is known as like the longest running aerial school in, in the country. Am I, is that correct from my understanding? It is correct. It is okay. the longest running professional training program in the United States. So there's other schools that most certainly were started before NECA. Um, and uh, it's been wonderful to be a part of the network of all those circus school and communities. But we started the professional training program at NECA uh, more than 15 years ago. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so, okay, here's my big decision. I'm going to go back before I go forward. Certainly. Can, <laughs> can you talk about your your performance career and then you have how many kids do you have so i will uh i'll answer both of those questions separately okay so okay first um my performing career started when i was 18 years old i was teaching at a performing arts camp that had a circus program that was very focused on the social circus of it, the empowerment for youth. And I was very interested in that. Um, I had uh, graduated from high school early. I had been at university for a year and a half, and I was a little bit at sea as to what I wanted to do with my life. Um, so my entry into circus was really through the the way that circus can be used as a medium to work with humans. But one of the people who I worked with was a professional trapeze artist on Ringling Brothers. And she's the first person who looked at me and said, um, you're pretty good at this and you could also be a performer. And I kind of accidentally 
they sent in an application to Ringling Brothers because they had a big turnover of their showgirls. And I don't know what possessed me to think that I could just embark on being a professional performer at Ringling Brothers, but I did. And I was accepted. And when I was 18 years old, I left university and started touring with Ringling Brothers Circus as an aerialist and an elephant rider and a dancer. So I really learned, let's just say, on the job. But from there, um, my twin sister had moved to Canada with um, uh, a guy. And so she and I were not working together at first, but I toured the world. I went to Japan for a year with a um, flying trapeze troupe. Um, I was not in a flying trapeze, but I was an aerialist with them. And I traveled the United States performing. I ended up landing in San Francisco working with the Pickle Family Circus, which was a probably the most formative of my artistic um, activities. It was really amazing to be part of a theatrical circus. A few years later, my twin sister moved to San Francisco and we started actually building an act together. And from there, Cirque du Soleil found us and we ended up touring with Cirque du Soleil for almost five years. At that point, my husband, when I signed a five-year contract with Cirque du Soleil, said, at the end of this, we need to commit to having a family if we're going to have a family because none of us get younger as time goes by. So uh, in 2001, we settled in Vermont where my father uh, was living at the time and started Nimble Arts and started a family. So now I have three children. Mm. I'm no longer married. So it's a single endeavor. But my twin sister and her husband, who do not have children, have been very instrumental in supporting um, myself, my continuing career, and my three kids who are 20, 16, and 13. Oh, my goodness. Um, Serenity, what show were you in for those years? On Cirque du Soleil, my twin sister and I did the duo Swinging Trapeze Act on Sultan Banco. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Okay, and then 2001, you started Nimble Arts and NECA in the same year? So, Nimble Arts was started in 2001, and it was the creative uh, pot under which Twin sister and I did aerial teacher trainings. So we're one of the first companies that actually formulated a teacher training that was progressive. And we traveled all over the world. We still do teaching that. My twin sister is actually in Tennessee right now leading a workshop. Mm. And so we also created several touring shows with Nimble Arts and did a lot of corporate work. We started teaching classes locally mostly because people were asking us, they would meet us and then they would say, oh, please, will you teach us a little trapeze? And from this small occasional lesson here and there to a short summer camp, all of a sudden we found ourselves employing other teachers and growing a circus school by demand, not by design. Mm. So it really grew organically within the community, which was lovely. But a few years later, it was actually um, 2007 when we stepped back and realized that the circus school was outgrowing the capacity that Elsie and I had to run it, as well as Nimble Arts, which was 
um, what we considered our performing company and then our teacher trainings. And it was there that we decided to apply for not-for-profit status and create the New England Center for Circus Arts separate from Nimble Arts. So it officially was born in 2007, almost exactly 15 years ago on December 14th. Oh my goodness, that is an anniversary. That's amazing. It is. Wow. Okay, so you had kids in the middle of all this. So from the mama (laughs) standpoint, um, you know, what's really uh, what my listeners like, not even like to hear about, but kind of need to hear about. um, Tell me about if there was a change in identity transition there, what that was like for you. Um, what the, like the nuts and bolts were like when it came to like teaching and being a mom and then also your body three times coming, going, coming back, going, (laughs) coming back. That, that is like, um, people just are craving more anecdotal information about that with people who did it, um, successfully, obviously. So, um, cause they want inspiration and they want to know what we've learned from that. Yeah. Um, so let's see where to start. So with all three of my children, I want to stress that I had no complications in pregnancy and I was lucky enough to be able to stay very fit and active throughout my pregnancy. And that is not always the case for everyone. And I want to make it very, very clear that everyone's journey in pregnancy is very different. And if yours is different, it doesn't mean that anything is wrong with you or you're doing anything wrong. And it's really critical to listen to your own body, your own journey, and to not take any chances. So I was very, very lucky that I was healthy and fit. I was able to actually run throughout my pregnancy. I had very specific check-ins that I would do every day when I trained. So I would do a handstand every day and the back bend every day. And those gave me really good um, connections to how I was actually feeling. Um, I had very little um, morning sickness. and. What that meant is that when I gave birth, I was much closer to my fitness level than if I had had to take time off. Um, And I think taking time off is really important for people when your body tells you to do it. So I really, I want to inspire people with my journey, but I also want to make sure that when other people's journeys are different, that they don't feel bad or feel like you're doing anything wrong. Um, so once I gave birth and I had no complications in any of my births, I had a lot of stitches, so there was definitely healing, but there weren't any medical complications. Um, I'd also like to add that my mom is an obstetrician who, she specializes in high-risk OB, so I'm very aware from her stories, um, and what I've heard growing up that my pregnancy was very low risk, low impact on my body. Um, The other piece is that I think that our society does not appreciate how brutal childbirth can be and that we have to 
as women, as mothers, we have to hold on to how much we need to do, let's just say physical therapy and rehab to be able to come back. And the people around us don't talk about it. It's not offered as part of your medical healing. They'll say, stay in bed, relax. And that's what you should do. And there are ways that you can do return to play very gently as if you'd been injured after birth. So um, my personal journey was very easy. I was actually able to perform very, very shortly after each of my births because my journey was very easy. So again, I want to say I, I'm happy to inspire other people, but I also don't want anyone to feel like they're doing anything wrong if their journey is more difficult because childbirth takes a lot out of you. Serenity, uh, and we can we can cut this out if you don't want to answer this question, but uh, how old were you when you had your kids? Oh, I am very happy to answer that question. Oh, okay. Yes. Yep. My first child was born 20 years ago. I am about to turn 52. So okay. he was when I was 31. And then each of my children were born about three and a half years apart. So then I would have been 34 and then 37. Um, and when you're 37, you know, they, they call it what, geriatric? Yep, they do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. So, um, um, and again, like, no complications, but they, I do not recommend waiting to have children. I recommend doing it earlier. I mean, that's just such a hard question, you know, because people want to live out their professional performing lives. They, 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 they want to perform as long as possible. For me personally, I was 42 when my bean was born. And mm-hmm. I would have had kids earlier, but I went through a divorce. It wasn't the right guy. And then I had to... F- I found the right guy, you know, time just went on. But meanwhile, like the last show that I did, yep. I was 41, like the last recurring, you know, on and on, not just one off show. Yep. But I, I think it's, I think right. it's ch- challenging um, for you. Do you feel like had your husband not like sat you down and said, okay, we need to start this process? <laughs> Do you think you might have just pushed it off for a little longer? I can say I'm sure I would have pushed it off longer because right, when okay. you're in the thick of yeah. being offered contracts, we don't know what it's going to be like in the future. Even if you hear someone like me say, don't put it off, um, it's very, very hard to know that that's something that you should do. Um, earlier for many reasons, of course, you know, complications of pregnancy being one of them. Um, I also hear a lot of people just saying, you know, I'm not financially ready. Um, It's hard to know when is a good time. And I'm actually quite grateful that my ex-husband was like, this is the time because he was five years older than I am. And um, another thing that had happened to me as well is that I had had to have shoulder surgery. And before then I had never been injured. And I had this thing in my head that if I didn't train every single day, um, that my body would forget 
and I would lose everything. And having shoulder surgery gave me the understanding um, that I could come back from not training every single day. And that also gave me a little bit of hope that if I had a child, that I would still be able to perform on the other side of it. And so I want to stress that with people, your body remembers the skills. It's like riding a bicycle. So once your body heals from the process of either surgery or childbirth, because that's what we're talking about, then you will remember how to do those skills. So to try to avoid that fear that you're going to have to go back to square one and start from the beginning. Um, so not, I don't recommend shoulder surgery to anyone, but it definitely gave me less fear that taking time off to have a child would prevent me from ever coming back. And I was able to come back and tour. I did many tours with my children. Um, I created shows. I still perform now um, after having had to take time off each time. So you, you trained through your pregnancies and then you would come back after however, however long. So even though you didn't have complications, what did that feel like to take the time off that you did? So I will share how much time I ended up taking off. And one of my advantages is that I was working at an extremely high level as an athlete and an artist. And I stress both of them. Um, as an athlete, I was very regimented. I ran every single day. I had a very specific uh, process of staying fit which is very different than maintaining your work as an artist. And so I was aware of that um, just in my professional career, that that was something that I had um, as my foundation. I was working at a very, very high level. So when I was able to come back after childbirth and perform, I was able to perform at a lower standard but it was still a very high standard because my body was accustomed to much higher than that. So when I say that I came back after birth with my first child, he was born on October 13th and I was performing on new year's Eve. Um, that was very fast and I never intended to do it. But when after I came back from childbirth, my body bounced back very, very quickly. So I was able to do that. And it was for my own company. So I could have just replaced myself. It wasn't like I was signing a contract with another company where I wasn't sure whether or not I would be able to come back. Um, so again, I want to stress that it wasn't like I was performing at my peak, but I was performing at a plenty high enough peak to do a New Year's Eve corporate gig. And I was very careful to change my choreography to match what was okay for my body. With my other two children, um, my son Quinn was born in July. And about a week after he was born, a Mexican circus festival reached out to my twin sister and I, and they'd had a last minute cancellation. And they asked us if we would go and compete. 
Um, and I had already had a chance to climb up on a silks and see how my body is doing. I used silks as part of my rehab, even though it was a trapeze X that we were doing. And even though I did not at all feel like I was at peak, we were able to modify the act and go out on the contract. So with a two and a half or three week old baby, we were able to go out. Um, I also recognized that I have the support of my identical twin sister and I brought my brother as my babysitter. So having family support and people around you who are aware of their part of it is also really, really critical. You cannot do this by yourself. Um, and then finally, with my youngest daughter, Evelina, she was born in November and I also performed a New Year's Eve gig. And I have to share this story. Um, she was a newborn, of course, went six weeks old at that point, And there was a baby white tiger at the event born on exactly the same day as my daughter. And we got a picture of the two of them together. Oh, So again, I want to right? like my journey is very, very different than necessarily other people's. And sometimes I hesitate to tell the story of how quickly I was able to come back because again, stressing again, that journey is not going to be the same for everyone. And I actually recommend that people take more time or anticipate that it will take more time so that you don't feel bad when you don't just bounce back. Yeah. You know who I see um, and from what I hear, the ones that are a little bit more heartbroken that they're not back quickly, they're actually the hobbyists, it seems like. I don't know if you experience that from your students and such. I think that's a really good point that from my particular journey, as I mentioned, I'm a I'm an elite athlete. And so I had a lot more that I could rest back on. And if you're not an elite athlete pre-pregnancy, there's no reason for you to expect that you're going to be an elite athlete post-pregnancy. And so to really be generous with yourself about how much rehabilitation it takes to come back from Birth is the most intense physical activity you will ever do. I find that. And then with the other piece of it, did you have good, bad, challenging, not challenging um, experience with the identity of like, I'm a mom now? Added to I'm a performer. Yeah. I think another nuance of my own particular journey is that I had my own company so that I could make decisions to bring my family with me that I didn't need to get permission from other people. So I was in a position of power because of that. There were occasional times that I went out and performed longer term contracts with other companies, but Mm -hmm. because I was working at a very high level, um, you know, as an award-winning aerialist who had Cirque du Soleil on my resume, I could demand certain accommodations. Um, and I shouldn't say demand, I never had to, but I could say, if you want me on this contract, I will be bringing my child and my babysitter. And I had to pay for that. But 
they never denied me a contract because I was a mother. Mm. I definitely had before the accommodations and I had to be very cautious about making sure that I wasn't being a burden, but I was never denied a contract. Again, I also recognize that I'm in a position of power. I had several acts that were in demand. And if you are working at a lower level, like you said, the hobbyists, it's going to be much harder to um, be given that role. Um, I think probably the harder place for myself was in my own adjustment to being distracted in a good way Mm. from motherhood. Um, There were no leisurely hours at the gym. I had to be incredibly Mm -hmm. efficient about the way I trained um, and the way that I created. And that, even to this day, is really hard. I often feel very distracted and um, that that is hard um, to not have the luxury of just kind of wallowing around in your own training and your own creativity. Um, So that is definitely an adjustment. I happen to be a very, very organized human being. So I was able to navigate that, but, um, you know, getting it at 5am in order to go for a run in order to train before my kids woke up, Um, I couldn't imagine doing this if I wasn't naturally that much of an organized human being. Serenity, now that they're a little bit older, do you feel like that creative space, that time for creation has kind of gone back to what it was? Like, do you have those hours and you can just kind of... um, immerse yourself in it or does it still feel like when they're younger i would say now that they are older i definitely have more time for myself and to focus on my own creativity i don't have to feed them all the time for example my 16 year old is going to a career center program where he's learning to cook so it's wonderful um those shifts in how they are able to take care of themselves more. I think one of the challenges is as they get older, I also am getting older mm-hmm. and the projects that I've created also have gained their own momentum. So my other babies, my creative projects of Uh, directing and writing shows, the New England Center for Circus Arts, and also my own company, Nimble Arts, have also taken off. So some of it is just how to carve out time for myself in a busy life, which is true for everyone, not just mothers, but it's certainly exacerbated by being mom. Yeah. Okay. So here's a question I have, and it's mostly for me, but also for my listeners. So I, I'm 45. I'll be turning 46 next year. I started Ariel when I was 30. So, um, I consider myself like, thank you, (laughs) older, but I was, you know, a dancer my whole life and then started training like midway through my professional dance career. And now I have people saying, oh, but I'm starting Ariel at you know, 40, you start at 30 or so you had so much more time, you know? So recently 
I, I kind of, you know, I had to come back twice. I had a big injury and then I had a baby and uh-huh. I do a lot of like, my, my body's not great at putting on muscle anyway and keeping okay. it. So I fight with my body a lot. Um, I don't have to fight with like, my hip flexibility. My back flexibility is kind of stiff. So basically I'm just like, is this train still going to go uphill? Like, am I going to be able to get stronger and more flexible from here? I could, I could, but that age situation works against you. So at what point or has it happened yet where you Mm -hmm. feel like that's something that kind of like works against your training and how have you dealt with it? Because you're, you're a bit older than me, but not much. Right. Right. Yeah. Really interesting question, separate from whether or not you've had a child, is the question of age and how well you age. And I'm putting quotations around well because defining well really yeah. becomes something specific yourself. But um, I'm actually with Susan Murphy, who is in her 70s, and she is still performing as well. And we were just talking about that because with her, I am a youngin still trying to figure out. Mm. Perform. And I think one of the things that I did not understand when I was younger, when I looked at older performers and thought, well, why don't they keep performing? Some of it is just desire. Um, as we get older, we have different shifts in our desires. And um, sometimes it's not that an older person doesn't want to perform, it's that they have other goals in life, whether it's being more uh, creative about the big picture, either directing a show or choreographing, or sometimes maybe you've performed for 20 years and you're a little bored with it. And there's no shame in that. Um, there is a bit of a thought um, that I had when I was a young person that I would look at older people and I was like, um, maybe judging them for not being a performer anymore. So maybe that's my own thing. I think the other Oh, that's so interesting. I feel like it usually goes the other way. That's well, so that's what I was going to say is that um, there's a, there is a challenge for older performers to be even offered an opportunity to perform. And I think it's tied into this question about being a mother as well. Once you have a baby, there's an assumption that you probably don't really want to perform anymore. And so then you're just not asked. And definitely as a mother and now as an older performer, I am having to create my own opportunities to perform because the opportunities are not being given to me by other people. And I'm, I'm not sure it's about not having an older person on stage. I think it's an assumption that maybe I'm just not interested in performing anymore and people aren't asking um, because of that. So I think there's that piece. Um, I think there is also, I won't use the word discrimination because I think that's too strong but I do think when we talk about diversity on stage, there is not enough attention paid to age diversity. And we've been hearing about that in theater for many, many years. We hear from actresses like Meryl Streep and Annette Benning saying, there just aren't roles for us. If we want to perform, we have to write our own scripts. And I think that is 
definitely happening in the circus. When we look at stages, I really appreciate the attention that's being paid to having different bodies on stage, um, different shapes, different types, um, different genders, diversity in uh, skin color. I am not seeing the same attention paid to age diversity, and I'm not sure why. Yeah, it's something that's been on my mind a lot lately because I am in L.A. and it is like the mecca of youth wins. And yes, it doesn't necessarily like hurt me emotionally because I I wouldn't go back for any, any reason. Like I I love being where I am, but definitely uh, Serenity, I'll tell you the things that I've experienced lately. Two different things. And it's weird because both ends of the spectrum are happening. And it's really interesting to me. For example, I had somebody who I worked with 10 years ago who just adores me. And he had called me recently. He's like, we're doing this again. Took a breath. And he's like, oh, "Can you? I really want you. But people you've trained. <laughs> like, I want you, but in a different body. I was like, uh, okay. Wow. So there's that. Cool. So that happened. Um, and I think there's also an assumption there that I have a baby. I don't want to go on tour. And right. I would have turned that particular thing down. But, you know, right. I, I always like, you know, it's always good to be nominated, right? <laughs> like, it's always good to ask, even if I turn you down. And then on the other hand, recently, because I still have an agent here in LA and I still go out for, I went out for a Christmas dance commercial recently and the breakdown was 30 to 50 years old for dancers, which was so cool to see. Yeah. Like commercial hip hop dancers. Yeah. That was cool because, you know, on TV commercial, they want the older one and then the younger one and the kid and then the grandma, blah, blah, blah. So I've been getting called out for that commercially more than when I was like that more ingenue age. Right. Uh, Yeah. So that's happening. And then also um, I got another audition and then I checked I checked in with some of my students the next day in class. They're in the same category of uh, can dance and can do aerial commercially. And my agent didn't even remember that they could do aerial. Like, so... So because because there's just so much information and things are quick, like for me, they have known that I've been doing aerial forever. And so it sticks in their mind. But for some of the younger ones that are just in their second, third year of training, um, it it gets lost. I don't know if this is all making one point, but my point is, is that um, there is diversity in the types of um, responses I'm getting from people. Um, and I think, I think it's okay, but it's very interesting to me because it's a new world for me. You've, you, you've had kids for a while, so it's a little bit longer, but yeah, it's very new for me. Yeah. I also think that it's different on film in the Hollywood LA, uh, Mm. or commercial New area because there is already that conversation about having diversity on screen and Mm. like you said they'll cast grandma and then the the mom and then the kid whereas on stage for a touring circus that is never part of the consideration i have Mm -hmm. never seen a 
audition call for a touring circus show that said, we want a grandfather on stage. Um, so I'm hoping that will shift in this conversation of having lots of different people representing lots of different worlds on stage. I feel like if I went to a Cirque show and there was an 80-year-old man or woman doing like an insanely amazing act, that would be so interesting to me, actually. I would be enthralled by that, actually. I think there's a couple of things on stage when you're doing 10 shows a week, it takes a really unique human to be able to withstand that physically when you're mm-hmm. young and then mm-hmm. do it also older. So I do recognize from the casting and the writing perspective that that really narrows the number of people that you might have an opportunity to hire. I still hope it happens. Um, so I think that's one of those uh, nuances that just the physical rigor of doing a tour makes it really hard. The other part where a lot of us get work is in the corporate market. And I think the corporate market could care less. They want life young bodies up there and um, they don't really necessarily care about having age diversity. I do want to appreciate that. I think that the corporate market is starting to want to make sure that they have physical diversity and, um, you know, gender diversity, um, racial diversity. So I think that we are moving forward in that, but I don't think age diversity has even broken into the awareness of the corporate market. Um, And certainly they wouldn't consider whether or not you've had a kid as being a condition for whether or not they're going to hire you. So I think those of us who are mothers end up hiding that fact. It's not a selling point when you're trying to get a corporate gig. Yeah, nothing is. Either you're in 100% or you turn it down. That's from what I've experienced not being in a place of like having my own company and just in as a aerialist you know, getting a contract. The other thing that I've heard about um, some of my friends going through, I was never the type of aerialist that wanted to do contracts. I am in LA as a freelancer and, you know, I'm more in the commercial side of things, but I do have friends who go all over the place and grab these contracts. And I have a, a friend that got signed for a contract. They trained her for three months. And then at that point they did an MRI. They do it on everybody in that show and then she was excused because her body showed signs of potential potential future injury have you heard of this happening on contracts i have heard of potential future injury being cause for dismissal but well whether or not there was a tear already and it was small but she was working through it um But I guess I'm bringing up this because your point on like, you know, bringing somebody like an 80 year old man to do a very like character based, you know, like act, it would, Mm -hmm. you know, there are limitations around that. But then I'm already seeing, you know, my friend who is in her early 20s have this potential like shoulder thing and then losing a contract before it even started. 
that to me was kind of brutal. Yeah, that sounds like it was very painful. Um, I have seen people who didn't have contracts renewed because they were injured. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, they went into an audition with an injury or a pre-existing condition and they were, you know, not invited to be a part of the contract. And that's a really tough call. Um, you know, if your body is not able to withstand 10 shows a week as, as a benchmark, then it's not fair to you to bring you out, set you up for permanent injury. Um, I just, I hope we all stay healthy enough to do this when we're 95 and you don't want to burn that candle really fast when you're 20 and then live with an injured body. Um, so this is an athletic experience. It's really hard to know what is right to do. Serenity, so just one question before you go. I so appreciate this. You are on vacation. And also, um, this lovely person that you're seeing this week, I would love to have her on the podcast if she wants to come on the podcast as well. Be um, to connect you with her. Oh, that would be that would be amazing. Um, so I'm going to mute it while you answer this because she is having her. She wants some attention. Understood. Serenity, do you have any advice for the aerialists out there who are either wanting to be a mom, being, hold on, or already in it? Like if you have any words of advice for them or words of um, inspiration for them, I would love to. Um, I'm sure they would love to hear it. So I was able to train throughout my pregnancy, and I think the most important thing that anyone who is pregnant and trying to maintain your personality as being an aerialist is that you truly listen to your body. When your body says it's time to stop or a particular part of your activity just doesn't feel right, then stop. I've known people who've had to stop for six months or a year and who gained 80 pounds and were still able to come back to being a professional aerialist. So really listen to your unique journey. And I think it's wonderful to be inspired to stay active, stay fit, stay being an aerial human, whatever makes you happy. And also really, really listen to your unique journey. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate you so much taking time out on your vacation. Um, I will. Oh. Yeah. You want to say hi? You want to say hi to Serenity? Say hi. Uh, hi. Hi. <laughs> I got her the cooking toy. Oh, my Christmas. Oh, you. she's really excited for Christmas, obviously. Oh, good. Thank you so much to Serenity for carving out the time. It was right before Christmas and she was on her vacation with her dear friend who hopefully will be on the podcast as well and her son and she carved out the time to jump on a zoom. I appreciate you so much. And um, thank you for, for, you know, being a trailblazer in our industry so that the people coming, you know, stepping into your footsteps and stepping into your very large shoes can have even more opportunity and you know you guys 
you and your generation, you guys gave us a foundation. So we're so grateful for that. And my listeners go to the show notes for all the stuff. So Arrow Rehab will open for uh, a couple day registration very soon. If you need that little jump start, getting um, getting back into your practice, if you've taken a break, or even if you just need like a little bit more motivation, you know, it's it's there. And then uh, roll it out. I hope to see you every week for that on Zoom. And then. Um, my teacher training that should be coming up uh, in the next couple months. Just keep your eyes peeled. All right, guys. Thank you so much to Asa Watkins, sound engineer. Thank you. Um, and to, to my listeners, I appreciate you so much. Season three is going to be amazing. We're going to have a lot of new guests and we're going to bring back ones to do updates on and see how the pregnancies and, and, um, and labor went and, and uh, dive back into some of those, the stories of those amazing women. So, uh, yeah, guys, thanks for being here. Give me a five star rating and a review. It means so much to me. It helps so much, much more, much more than you think. Um, I love you. And yeah, I'll see you guys next time. Over and out. This is Carrie. And this is Expecting Rails podcast from Digitant Podcasts.